Belly, get out of the bag. Phoebes, you gotta get out of there. We're doing a show. Oh my god. Are you done? Is there something in the bag? Let's get rid of that bag, please. <laughs> so do you want to get started? Yeah. Okay, welcome folks to Our Kids Asleep. This is the late night podcast from uh, two parents who are incredibly tired <laughs> all the time. We're going to talk about three things tonight. The first of all being the incredible new series that we've been missing out on, and that is called... Documentary Now. What's going on with that? So, I kept seeing it advertised because the third season just premiered on IFC. How old is this show? I, I want to know because uh, I feel horrible. I feel really guilty that I've been missing out on this. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, let's look. Let's see when the first season came out. It's a spoof series by the um, some of the minds behind Saturday Night Live. So Fred Armisen, Bill oh, Hader, yeah. and Seth Meyers. And right. it's executive produced by Lauren Michaels. And it's essentially each episode is a different spoof documentary. <laughs> so we watched the first two episodes uh, which were, last night. Which were outstanding. We haven't seen past the two episodes. And yeah. We thought that they were really incredible. So we're going to chat about that um, a little bit. It's about four years old. So the first episode aired in yeah. 2015. And I got to ask you this. Do you feel like you've missed out on a whole bunch of stuff ever since your kid was born? Oh, yeah. And I feel like I have to do a preface to that statement because I always want to say I love my son more than anything else in the oh, world. well, yeah. Life is great. <laughs> but you feel that you've been missing out on a lot of stuff. Having a child is, it can be isolating. And mm. not just in the sense that, you know, if you're the only one of your friends, maybe that has a kid. But also in the sense that you're just so goddamn tired all the time that you don't have the energy to keep up with pop culture. And that's and essentially what's happened over the last six years is we've just fallen behind. And so <laughs> stuff that was like new and exciting three years ago is new and exciting to us now. Right. And they're like, where the hell have you guys been? Yeah. So hopefully this will have a little bit of a shelf life because as people are discovering some of this stuff like us, they'll be able to listen to some I of I also our... think that nowadays it's, it's with as much content as is out there, mm -hmm. it's entirely possible that you could not see a show th uh, you know three years from the time it premieres because there's just so much content that there's no possible way yeah you could be caught up with everything all at the same time yeah and i feel like i've been at the fringes of what's popular for probably about six years now six or seven years like the big thing that gets all of our friends excited on facebook right now is game of thrones yeah i see it every single post and I'm completely out of the loop on that. I never read the books and I never saw a single episode of that series. It looks great. It looks incredibly well made and intriguing. But for some reason, it just hasn't been something that I wanted to yeah. invest time in. Yeah, me too. I read the first few chapters of the book, of the first book. What'd you think? Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't really for me. It I don't was, know. I don't know if I just wasn't in the right place yeah. to be reading it. I just didn't. I just didn't continue. I heard there was a lot of dry world building. Is that is that correct? I don't really. I didn't get far enough to know. Okay. But yeah, I'm, I've heard it's pretty military. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's like military fantasy. 
Hmm. Which is so uninteresting to me. Like yeah. that that was hard about some of the Lord of the Rings. This it's a little bit Yeah. I yeah. liked Lord of the Rings better, yeah. but <laughs> But I can't say that because I didn't read all of Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Maybe we'll get there. Maybe we'll try it some other time. Yeah, maybe. But it's not at the list of it's not at the top of the list of priorities no, right now. Not at all. But one of the things that really struck our fancy was documentary now because it was so <laughs> fucking kooky yeah and i kept like i would see like little trailers and john mulaney is in the 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 newest season oh is he um and you know you see like little clips and it just yeah it just looks so kooky yeah and so i was like oh i know this is on netflix i've seen it i've scrolled past it like we have to watch the earlier seasons yeah and so we watched the first two episodes last night or the night before and the first episode was a gray gardens parody Grey Gardens, I just looked up, is a documentary from the 70s about these two older ladies who are related to Jackie Onassis. Okay. And it's essentially just about them and, like, their weird lives <laughs> in this, like, secluded <laughs> Long Island, like, mansion. And in the parody, it's Bill Hader and Fran Arbison <laughs> playing these two aging mother and daughter. Yeah. And it was so absurd. I think what I appreciated about that right off the bat were, sorry, that's Phoebe. What's going on She's over there? She's rolling something. She's rolling the, the, the Sharpie. Or there's a. Oh, I'll get it. <laughs> Where the hell are these it's rocks coming it's from? Right. So our son has a rock collection that he was gifted sort of a family heirloom and now it's scattered all over the kitchen floor. And the cats find them and then you hear the of them like sliding them across. And Phoebe is very playful right now because we locked Oscar in the guest room because he's being a little shit. Yeah, I'm actually quite proud of this. I've created a little cocoon of blankets around us so so that we can minimize some of the echo. So I'm I'm But fairly... Oscar wasn't having it and he was jumping at the blanket and yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll see if this holds. Anyway, so the first episode of that was Bill Hader and, and yeah. Fred Armisen playing these two old ladies. But what I did want to get into yeah. was the fact that it was so stylistically well made. It was hitting the right notes. The moment you saw that shot when they opened was was just, it set the tone so well. Well, and I felt like even though I hadn't seen that original documentary, I knew exactly what they were making fun of. You got a sense of it. You yeah. got a feel for it right away. And yeah. they, they hadn't even introduced the characters yet, but the feel of it was really well done. <laughs> yeah. And I remember you just kind of blurting out loud, how in the hell did they get Helen Mirren to do yeah. this shit? Oh, yeah. That was, that's, so the documentary now, like, structure is like, it's a series paying homage to these famous documentarians and by airing their documentaries in like a weekly series. So they have the introduction. Yeah. So Helen Mirren is the the narrator at the very beginning, introducing the documentary. And I was like, what? And I think you'll appreciate this. Maybe the reason she she could have been interested or, or maybe it's just another gig. I don't know. Her husband is actually Taylor Hackford, who was a documentary filmmaker. Oh, okay. He did Ray, but he also used to do music documentaries back in the 70s and 80s. That could be why she... And he's a pretty cool dude. Uh, They interviewed him on... Who the hell is that? Uh, What's the comedian? Jim... um, The bald guy. Jim Norton? Jim Norton has a podcast. Oh. Interviewed him. They were super excited to to interview him. And he had a lot of cool stories just about musicians and, and being around that kind of 
people cool. that I'm like, that dude is the shit. Maybe that's why she agreed to do it. Yeah, maybe. Not to her husband. No. It's pretty funny. <laughs> she is it was a good little like yeah. she's at the beginning of each episode. And then the second episode we watched was a spoof on Vice documentaries. Which was fucking hilarious. It was so good. I was losing my mind the whole time. We've, we've watched our share of Vice documentaries, so it was, it was pretty fucking spot on. <laughs> I was telling you the other day when I was watching the one about, it was just drug use in general uh, uh, with uh, migrant people and the, mm. the folks down in Southern California and how it was just in, infested. Mm-hmm. And so there was always the, the Latino angle. There was a a Latina correspondent who was like, are you guys Latinos? Yeah. Are you guys Latinos? I'm looking for some Latinos who do crack. You know, it's just like, okay, all right. I know that's the, the point of the documentary, but you don't have to blurt it out yeah. every five seconds. But it, it that again, you know, it, it was so well put together because of the tone. Yeah. And fucking Jack Black, of course. Yeah, he The plays. great Jack Black yeah, shows up. he's wonderful. And <laughs> it felt like, yeah, this is exactly, exactly who these people are, you know. I thought what was, and I don't, I've only watched a couple of them, so I don't know if this is like a theme, but like the documentaries escalate. Like they seem mm-hmm. pretty like normal, but then like shit just gets crazy. Like it just escalates yeah, yeah. like each and time. Coming back to the first one, which I thought was, again, really awesome. Mm-hmm. They weren't afraid to to make it something other than funny. Yeah. Like at the end, yeah. I was a little scared. I was too. It was so well done that I then I was like, too. they're going to, they're, this shit isn't going to end <laughs> I well. Know. And the production really elevated that and it was super yeah. fun. But I felt kind of stupid that I felt scared. But no, no, <laughs> at but the that's, end, I was that's like, such a rush. This like, is getting scary. That's comedy. That's yeah. something that, that lives beyond a genre. So mm-hmm. I thought that was really well done. <laughs> and with the vice, the vice one, what I really appreciated is is that you started to get the feeling of the absurdity of it. Yeah. Like, the more it escalated, the more absurd it became. Yeah. And that comedy, like, there was comedy rising out of that. Yeah. That, yeah, that absurdity. The escalation of... Like, this shit doesn't make sense. Yeah. This is crazy, but yeah. it's so, so amazing. It's really good. I like it a lot. Yeah. I can't wait to watch. There's two full seasons. Two full seasons. On Netflix right now. So, what do you think? I think... For the first two episodes, we should definitely tink to that. Yeah, for sure. It's, Here it's, we go. It's a ride. Little tink. And what are we drinking tonight? Mm, we Pinot went, Grigio? Yeah, we, we just got some Pinot Grigio. Claude Dubois. Claude Dubois. California Pinot it's Grigio. A, it's a California Pinot Grigio from 2017. Uh, we're not really connoisseurs yet, but it feels good to try something new. Yeah. So I I really think that we should showcase that a little bit. Yeah. Speaking of comedy and absurdity, mixing things that don't really make sense, Maddie really referred me to this. It was My Favorite Murder, mm-hmm. which is a new one that, that you were listening to just a couple of days ago. Yeah, my best friend has been talking about it for a while. And just, just say Sam. She's like right there. Okay. Like, Sam has been talking about this <laughs> to me for a while. It's like one of her favorite podcasts. And it's two uh, women, Karen Kildegraff and Georgia, uh, Georgia, Georgia Hardstark, which sounds like a made up name, but that's her real name. Fucking fairy tale. <laughs> um, and they just, they, they talk about each episode. They talk about their favorite murders 
So each episode they pick a murder and they talk about it. Man. And um what is it with with this fucking fascination with investigative murder porn? I'm telling you. I know. But and- it's something they've been interested in for a really long time, like both of them, and it's something they connected on when they became yeah. friends. Yeah, but this transcends. I mean, when you say something like they've been interested in this a really long time. Yeah. This is something that everyone is interested in for a really long time. Yeah, I guess so, but <laughs> I think I think there's there's a difference between people who watch investigative murder porn and people who who do the research and read all those biographies and read all of those serial killer profiles. So that is next level lust for investigative murder porn. I just, That's what you're telling I me. I think I've thought about this a lot. Like what makes people, what makes me interested in in true crime? And mm. I think what it comes down to for a lot of people is um, the why. You know, yes, yes, the the details, the grisly details can sometimes be titillating and horrifying. And and that can be kind of, you know, sort of like when you're watching a horror movie, like it's scary, but it's fun. But I do think that for me anyway, the the reason that I it's interesting is because you want to know why. Yeah. So let's let's talk about the example that I listened to, because that was one that both of us listened to together. It was the one about the dad. Who burned his own son. Yeah. And I, I have to say, okay, that is pretty fucking harsh. Mm-hmm. So it is a comedy podcast. Like yeah, it, it was is. a pretty I, I do appreciate what they were doing, that it was fairly light and that they were talking about this stuff. It yeah. But what I wanted to get at was the moment I heard that, being a parent myself, I I was like, that dude needs to be shot three ways from Sunday mm-hmm. and he must be kept alive so that he can be shot again tomorrow mm-hmm. and the day after. I don't understand why anyone would want to do that. And and the way that the crime was described or, or his superficial motive was, okay, uh, his wife wasn't going to let him see the child. So if she couldn't have him, then nobody will. Now, that is a pretty surface level explanation. That's something, you know, like the classic cops of the 50s would say, well, you know, he was just a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. But what we are interested in and what most people are interested in when it comes to the why is how I as a sane individual would what would drive me to yeah. do something like that. Yeah. Because those are those are again characters to us. And I think that that's an interesting distinction that they do make in the podcast is the one-off killers versus serial killers. Mm. Because generally the one-off killers are not people who would have killed normally. You know, generally just a moment where they lost their cool or right. they did a something. psychotic break, uh, a crime of passion, a hidden anger issue, like something <laughs> that causes them to do something violent. Yeah. You don't know what was happening in that man's head. You don't know. Something clearly broke <laughs> in that yeah. person. Yeah. Um, and he, and they talked about later, the boy survived amazingly. They, that poor child. I mean, he literally survived being burned alive by some miracle like the 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 motel people pulled him out of the fire but um later that when the dad got out of prison like 10 years later he didn't think he should be let out of prison yeah. he himself said that that was an unforgivable act and i shouldn't be let out yeah. but they let him out anyway that's just so fucked up. Um, but anyway, so the podcast is a comedy podcast, <laughs> despite the horror of what they talk about. 
And so I think that's what I like about it and what Sam uh, conveyed to me when she was trying to get me to listen to it was that it's lighter than your typical true crime podcast. Yeah. Typically, true crime podcasts are rough. Mm -hmm. Like, they're hard to listen to sometimes. Yeah. And what I don't like about them is is that a lot of the time they are sensationalized oh, yeah. to such a degree that, okay, podcasts, just as a medium, they're so intimate already yeah. that it really is just like pummeling your senses with yeah. this this viciousness. But that's what sells. That's oh, what yeah, gets people yeah. to listen, particularly yeah. in this genre. But what they're doing and what I appreciate about it is just somehow – making you know through sheer will of personality and just the way they approach it that they don't take it too seriously even though yeah. the subject is serious they do have insightful things to say a lot of the time about the comedians murders. typically do and this yeah. is what i find so so amusing is that the most clever minds that we have right now in storytelling are typically stand-up comedians mm. because they they bring so much truth in such an approachable way it's not a fucking theology lesson every single time or it's not a political debate every single time it's something succinct and direct enough that most of us can can get it and go along with it without feeling stupid yeah and actually having a good time i mean this is perfect yeah it's fucking perfect yeah uh i think another thing that's relatable about the podcast is that they when one of them is retelling the story to the other and to the audience the other one that's listening is reacting in the exact same way that you're reacting to something. Like yeah. when they say something horrific, the other person is going, oh, God, like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> like, please don't tell me he did this. And yeah. so there's just like this really relatable back and forth between the two of them where you feel like you're having that same reaction that she is to the, the story being told. Yeah. So you don't. Super approachable. Yeah. Yeah. Which is good. But anyway, that's what I've been listening to. And it's called <laughs> My Favorite Murder. And it's great if you're into that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> if, you're, if you're into a little violence with some humor, yeah. some light humor, just you know, check it out. When they mix the, the violence <laughs> and the humor, I like it. <laughs> so the next thing that we had on the list to talk about uh, the growing Democratic um, field. When we say this candidate's name, I have to say the first name and okay. you have to say the last name. Okay, go ahead. So the candidate's name is Beto O'Rourke. Yes. See, that works. <laughs> that is synergy yeah. going on right yeah. here. Yeah. So Beto is running. What's okay. your immediate gut reaction? So my immediate when... gut reaction is cool. Like another... You're like, here's another one. Here's another okay. one. Yeah. Um, in in the scheme, like on the spectrum of like Kamala Harris, Cory Booker to Bernie Sanders, as far as like progressiveness. Sure. I initially thought that Beto was somewhere in the middle between mm -hmm. the two of them. Yeah. And I I did a little bit more research. I watched a video about his voting record and sort of his history of being like in Congress and that kind of thing. And... I found that really he's fairly conservative for a Democrat. And not super surprising considering he's from Texas, although I learned that El Paso, which is his district, is actually the most liberal district in the country yeah. by numbers, I guess. 
So that's sort of interesting that he's actually more conservative than his district that he represented. Um, yeah, but I think he, he gets sort of a, a pass because of his persona, because of yes. his background. And so I think the reason that he became this sort of Democratic darling, aside from the fact that he's charming and attractive, and is that he ran against Ted Cruz. Yeah. And Ted Cruz, and immediately- <laughs> in liberal circles, Ted Cruz is so loathed that anyone who ran against him was going to be a Democratic darling. <laughs> um, so I do think that because of that, even though he lost, he didn't lose by that much. No, it was a very close It was very call. close. So I think that that sort of, even though he lost, gave him some, like, Democratic street cred. Yeah. Even if it wasn't really deserved, considering, like, his voting record and stuff. I think he's still fairly young, right? He's only been... He's, like, 46. Yeah, but in terms of what he's been doing in politics, yeah. what his political ha- career pretty, has been like. Pretty new. He is, in a way, a clean slate. We know just enough that he hasn't really made up his mind about what field he's going to play. That's what it seems like to me, where yeah. he's still developing his political voice, in a way. Yeah, and I think that was something I watched a Young Turks video, mm-hmm. and they were sort of saying that he seems to be... Like, initially, when he was running against Ted Cruz, he was for Medicare for all. He was using, like, single payer. He was using the words that progressives use to talk about Medicare for all. But then that sort of changed about halfway through his campaign, and he stopped using those words and would say things more like universal health care and sort of the... Soften the language Softening a little bit for a wider audience. Right. And doing sort of what, like, the Kamala Harris's and the Cory Booker's are doing, which is, like, uh, not necessarily promising Medicare for all, but, but promising... let's talk about it. Let's put it on the agenda and we'll right. see what happens. Or let's talk about fixing the ACA. That's yeah. generally what, like, what the centrist the... Democrats yeah. are talking about. Um, so I think there's some concern, particularly from progressives, or maybe not concern, but, like, some some trepidation about how he's being portrayed, mm-hmm. um, particularly in the media. He's like the new shiny thing. Right. You know, just sort of like AOC is, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, but without the substance. She's actually getting shit done. You got to give her credit. She's no, and I, that's the thing. Like, yeah. she is new and shiny, but she also is like really doing it. Doing the work. She's doing the work. Yeah. With Beto, I don't know. It's again, hard to does, say if he's he, just talking a big game. He seems like a wild card right now because yeah. I don't know what to what to make of him. And granted, there there may be some folks in in Texas who may be better able to who will obviously have a, a clearer picture of who this man is and what he's all about. But I think the big conversation or the the thing to consider now is that he's going from from local state politics into a wider platform Mm -hmm. and that's where the sort of the political shift happens where the what what do you call it the where you position yeah certain things in in a way that you'll be able to appeal to yeah not just your your side of the of the aisle but to to the other folks and i think that's yeah go ahead sorry in in i think in the long run what he's looking to do is position himself as somebody that even Republicans, moderate Republicans, would be willing to vote for. Mm-hmm. He's fairly outspoken, but the beliefs, like you say, are still fairly aligned with... You in know, some ways, yeah. In some ways, um, with the right. Yeah. 
So it's just it's just like national campaign sort of rebranding. Yeah, yeah and I think way. that's going to be the real test. This primary season is going to be the real test about where he actually is going to come down on stuff. Because yeah. I don't think he's going to go closer to Bernie. I don't think a lot of people can match him right now. No. It's I just really... I just I mean in terms of positions. I don't think oh, right. yeah. I don't think he's going to land closer to Bernie than he's going to land to the centrists. Simply because that's not the way he's ever voted in yeah. Congress. His voting record was it was fairly conservative mm-hmm. in, a, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So for some Democrats that are less left that might be a good candidate for them. Yeah. Well, this is what I'm saying is that national campaigns are not just about the left. Yeah. They are never about just the one party. Right. So for the Democratic Party, the establishment, they're going to want to go with Beto right away because Maybe. he has just consider it. Consider it. When you start to see his his rebranded mm. political approach, it's it's going to be more right smack in the middle with a little bit of the right so that they know they can have some more of the of that red vote. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like Bernie's still on his own. Yeah. Pretty much. He's going to have to wedge himself in there. And obviously we're a Bernie. This is a Bernie household. You know, we're going to be rooting for him all the way. But the ideal candidate might be somebody more like Beto who is mm-hmm. who is right in the middle. And he definitely could have more credibility with you're right with more moderate republicans because he is from texas yeah he has a more conservative for dem for a democrat more conservative voting record whereas kamala harris and cory booker i mean they're i mean you could they have the they have their followers they have a lot of yeah i know but they're not they're not going to get any republicans voting yeah and that's what i'm saying is that it all comes down to image and how much you can how much of the other side you can you can really bring with you and I think that he has the potential to be sort of a crossover guy in some ways. He's not going to win the hard right vote, of no. course, but he just needs a little bit of, of that wedge of people, just a mm-hmm. small fraction of that red pie yeah. to be able to possibly win a national election. Because Democrats will vote for him. Yeah. Yeah. Democrats will vote for him. If, if he's, he's the, the choice. Yeah, yeah. The front runner. Yeah. But what we're counting on is is somebody to do that. Now, if we, and I'm talking about cookie cutter, Democratic Party establishment candidate, he would be an ideal candidate for that. Yeah. Because of that appeal. But for me, but for me personally, I want to go balls to the wall, Bernie, you know, because he. Well, and there's still so much time between then and and the the election that I feel like if Bernie, because because Bernie has the last election under his belt already. Yeah. He already has that name recognition and that established following. You know, Beto has the advantage of just having lost a very high profile election by a very narrow margin. And he will get more press coverage than yeah. than Bernie for he sure. He already is. It, and if you saw they they omitted Bernie Sanders from the NBC political oh, yeah. They had like the field, like all the pictures of the Democrats the dr- that were Democratic running already, candidates. and Bernie was conveniently left off. So that's what's going to happen. Yeah. From now until until election day. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's it's a tough one, but 
you know, I wish Beto the best. If he is to be the right candidate, then so be it, you know. I was going to say the next one that we're waiting on is Biden. I don't think he's going to run. I think he he's, will. He's going to see the field so congested. Honestly, I think he's insane. He just spent eight years in the White House. Yeah. Why would you run for president if you had just spent eight years as vice president? And he spent like 30 fucking years in the House or the Senate. I can't remember. That's the thing. It's their life. It's their their commitment. I mean, I would would have fucking retired. You know me. I would have retired the moment I hit the lottery. I think what's what's baffling is that he was vice president for eight years and he wants to be president. It just people who want to be president, I think, are psychos. I think there's a bit of, of... divine right in a way that's in their mind that okay i'm next up to the plate i gotta i gotta do this yeah i gotta do this and i don't understand that level of that level of power yeah in those situations where they're you know people get used to power yeah people grow accustomed to having that much of a of a say over the lives of millions of people can you imagine that just think about that millions hundreds of millions of people in the United States. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the world. I mean, the United yeah. States still has... Well, hopefully we do by the end of Trump's <laughs> first term. He hasn't completely isolated all our allies. Yeah, we're, we're getting there. Don't yeah. worry. Yeah. Just we're ticking one off each, yeah. each time he meets with a foreign leader. But we'll leave the tinking to another day. I don't feel like we're going to tink any politics-related mm, thing. Yeah. It's just not going to end well. Even Beto doesn't deserve a tank. We're not going to soil the tank with just politics talk. So let's yeah. move on to something that we can tink to, and that is... This is a segment we've visited in the past. Sponsors we wish we had. Yes, you actually, you, you, gave me, you gave me the, the idea, so kudos to you. A sponsor that we wish we had is most certainly Taco John's. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why? Why do you ask? Because it is local, it is somewhat Mexican, and we can't say Taco Tuesday. I'm gonna blurt. I'm gonna bleep that out. Yeah. And yeah, that's about it. I don't like Taco Johns. No. I. Do you Not remember even that time? The, the okay. potato lays. Do you remember that time? The potato lays. Sure, the the salt gets me through. Yeah. But do you remember the one time where I had that quesadilla, and mm-hmm. I have to say quesadilla. Because then I feel ashamed. Did it really qualify to have the accent so strong? No, it wasn't a quesadilla. It was a quesadilla. Yeah. And they had bell peppers in it. They put bell peppers in theirs. And whenever I bit into it, it had this weird plasticky kind of flavor. Mm. And I was so bummed out. And I was so sad. And I Maybe you just ate it a bad Taco John's. The one around the corner here? That's our Taco John's. Oh, I went to the new one, and it was pretty good. Yeah. Oh, that's reason number number five that we should have there's like six Taco of John's. Them? Yeah, there's actually one at every single corner it's like, if you live in the great state of Wyoming. It's the Starbucks of Wyoming. There's one on every corner. Yeah. Okay, lastly, reason number six that Taco John's should be our sponsor. A sponsor that we wish we had because it's Jason's favorite restaurant. <laughs> he told me that once and I think he forgot, but now it's going to be his favorite restaurant. Yeah. And if he wishes to dispute that, he is more than welcome to come on the show if he chooses to listen. <laughs> so he's probably not listening. <laughs> Just going to leave it at that. Okay.
moving on to more delicious, delicious so, topics. Yeah. So the last subject we want to talk about. So last week we talked about action movies, our love of specifically Mission Impossible movies. This week I had a brain storm, a lightning strike. I was like, doomsday movies. Which, which are a great subset of action films, but very close to our heart as well. And we will be covering some of those films here as the show continues. Yeah. And the first one, one that is the originator of great feelings for us, is... The Day After Tomorrow, starring Dennis Quaid and Jake Gyllenhaal and yeah. others. Yes. Is that the 2007 masterpiece? When did that movie come out? I don't know. The Day After Whoa, this was 2004. Oh. The Day After Tomorrow came out in 2004, directed by the much-hated uh, in some circles Roland Emmerich, but he did direct The Patriot, and that is another movie that we're going to have to talk about some other, some other time. Mm -hmm. Great movie, by the way. Yeah. So The Day After Tomorrow, if you haven't seen it, Spoiler alert. Where the hell are you? Where are you? Or have you, you been? Um, it's about a superstorm that... Much like the one we had just recently. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty close. Uh, it's about a superstorm that's caused by the jet streams. The melting of the polar ice caps and like the, the sun. No, the jet streams are doing something weird. Like they stop turning or they go the other yeah. direction. I don't remember. Yeah. Because of some <laughs> earth malfunction. Yeah. Uh, there's this like huge storms and they cause these crazy cold, like everything freezes. And like, there's like a scene where like a helicopter freezes mid flight. So it is, it is a masterpiece of disaster filmmaking. I mean, it, it just looks awesome and it's a bit on the hokey side, but that is really its most endearing trait. Mm -hmm. It has a good cast too. It's a really good cast. Randy Quaid. Dennis Ian Quaid. Holm. Not Randy. Oh, you know what? I was thinking of Randy Quaid, though. Remember him in Not Another Teen Movie? No. He was in that movie, along with Captain America. Isn't that awesome? Chris Evans is Chris Evans movie? was the, the jock in that movie. Oh. I was shoveling the snow, and I, I was like, I don't know. I, he was just... Why are you thinking about Not Another Teen I Movie? I can't remember. It, it just came to me. But anyway, I was thinking of Randy Quaid. So, so Dennis Quaid, Jake Gyllenhaal, Emmy Rossum. Who was the mom? Who was Jake uh, Gyllenhaal's mom? I don't remember. Somebody we didn't recognize, huh? Well, I recognize her face, but I, I, don't, I can't put her name to her face. The lady with the face. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it is it is hokey. Yeah, but let's talk about feeling. Let's talk about why that movie means so much to you. Because I know, I know you love that movie. Yeah, I do love that movie. Why does that movie mean so much to me? I've always liked disaster movies, and the more destruction, this is, I don't know what this says about me, but the more destruction, the better. <laughs> like, you're just ready for the cleansing, aren't you? I guess, Jesus. I don't know. Like, I love, uh, you know, I know we're not talking about Armageddon, but uh, movies where big landmarks get destroyed, that's really satisfying for some reason. Uh, for somebody who studied history, that that's really peculiar yeah. to me in that you would want things to be erased completely no, from no, the no. earth. No, no, no. I think, I think, and I think it actually does stem from, from my history background is just thinking about, about how in these movies, these significant events, like this 
polar vortex thing that happens in the day after tomorrow would completely change the landscape in a historical fashion. So <clears throat> that yeah, scene and, and, where they're walking by the Statue of Liberty and it's yeah. just like the head and it's all frozen. Right, but you're, I think you, you want to think about how impermanent we are in a way. Yeah. And you look at history and just how so easily it could have been something completely different. Yeah. Because it's, it's just a matter of the right ingredients for history to, to or for, for a society to flourish. And or to... Or to vanish, yeah, and, yeah. And that's what I was getting at, yeah. yeah. That, and, that's part of it, I, that, I guess. That, yeah, and um, that movie, it didn't look visually hokey, though. I didn't think. It was pretty well done, yeah. I think, like, the, the effects, and I think that that really makes or breaks, a de, like, a destruction movie, like a disaster movie. You have like, to buy in. Yeah, yeah, like, how realistic does the destruction actually look? Mm-hmm. And that movie, it was pretty good, like. yeah. Budget was there. For its time, yeah. It really held up. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to watch it again. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen that movie in a while, too. Yeah, I haven't seen it. When we had cable, it was on. it's on like all the time. And <laughs> it's I would, on TNT. I would, yeah, it's or like, like FX. When like, they're done playing Lord of the Rings, they just go back to <laughs> yeah, the day after tomorrow. It's just on repeat. Good movie all around. Yeah. And Sir Roland Emmerich had a penchant for destruction. What other movies has he done? Uh, that he are... did 2012. You remember? <sighs> I didn't like that one. <laughs> that was one I didn't like. But we'll have to talk about it. So hold your thoughts okay. until we watch it again so that we can okay. judge it. And I'd also like to talk about the Rock movies. The movies that like the destruction movies that The Rock has been in lately. Oh, he's been good. I mean, those deserve their own their own episode. Though, yeah. Pretty much. So we're going to have to do okay. a bit of research before we get into that one. Okay. Now, The Day After Tomorrow, though. Top notch. Go check it out. I have to take a moment to collect my thoughts because the wine is kicking in. Mm. It's weird. Like when you've had a big meal, we went to have Himalayan. It's like Himalayan fusion. It's yeah. The Himalayan. We went to the Himalayan restaurant and I'm always so overwhelmed by food that I just, I have to eat all of it and I have to consume and experience it that now I'm all tired and bloated and drinking wine and I have to take a moment to gather myself <laughs> should we tink to the day after tomorrow yeah before i keep yeah let's let's tink a tink. little bit more two out of three ain't bad thank you meatloaf yeah we didn't do anything that was too too much of a downer today <laughs> <laughs> we yeah. we had half a mind to talk about things that could have been yeah, real we, downers we gotta stop talking about politics though what the fuck this is the problem though babe is like now as much as i would like to keep it light it's so difficult because politics just permeates. Yeah. The the well, especially right now. The concern, yeah, yeah, just the climate right now yeah. is is incredibly focused on what the what the next election is is gonna yeah how it's gonna play out. Well, yeah. So I'm like, let, let's throw in some fart jokes or well, let's talk about. Yeah. It's a year and a half out from the election, yeah. and we're already, you know, we've already got twenty I people okay. that we have to look at and. <laughs> God, we're going to be so burnt out by the time the election actually comes around. Remember we're like, what happened last time? I don't care who's there. Poor Rachel Maddow. She's just trying to research as much as humanly possible. And I got burned out by Rachel Maddow. I did too. You know, not because she was doing anything wrong, but just the fact that I couldn't keep up with the shit that was going on leading up to the election. Now, I remember you, you just didn't. You didn't watch anymore. And I was like, yeah, that sounds good to me. I, yeah, I had we to. Can't I stopped watch. because I couldn't. I just got exhausted. Yeah. 
I got exhausted by the the revelations every single night. And I was just like, I don't have room in my brain for all this shit. That is a vicious circle. And yeah. it doesn't stop because doesn't of the ratings. Stop. No. More and, and that's more another and thing more. why I stopped consuming uh, cable news. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's, no more. it's too much. I mean, yeah. it's an MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, NBC News. Like, it's all sensationalist and it's just like color and light yeah. and, <laughs> and everything's throwing, an emergency everything's an emergency and it's just it's exhausting yeah. and, and the, exclusive yeah and you know i've i've um switched to the sort of uh low-key uh bbc news npr npr has its moments where it can be a little bit sensationalist well they're seeking your donations or anything that you can contribute because yeah but like fucking run out of money yeah yeah (laughs) every three months yeah but um but npr generally is fairly even keeled um but yeah i just and as much as i respect and admire rachel maddow i think she's incredibly intelligent and really works hard at what she does and she's good at it and she has a team that is clearly also, you know, good at what they do and researching and stuff. But, um, but it, you can't, that doesn't, it doesn't negate the fact that it's about ratings. Absolutely. And that taints everything for me. It, it, I realized the reason I wasn't enjoying it anymore is because it was, that's all I was hearing was, what can we what can we cover in this half hour or this hour whatever it is to beat Sean Hannity our direct right. competitor right. you know like and, and eventually how I how can we promote the candidates that our bosses want us to promote right yeah which is which is why you you start looking at some of the stuff that they did during the the campaign with yeah. Bernie yeah. and they totally weren't fair no they were not fair in no. my opinion but that's that's and, another podcast and a half of, of shit to deal with, yeah. in my opinion. I would be interested to see what Rachel Maddow would do if she was part of, like, an independent news organization. I think she should. Just start your own network, yeah, Rachel, like she Oprah. Started a, she started a podcast, like a, a an independent really? thing. Yeah, about um, uh, Spiro Agnew and the whole Richard Richard Nixon thing. Huh. What is that? The it's just like the Watergate stuff and the stuff oh, okay. leading up to Watergate. Political and, history kind yeah. of kind of podcast. But it's yeah. relative to today, of course. But yeah. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, and and that's the problem is a lot of these journalism is is in a weird place where uh, they have to rely on these these old structures of of business in a in a very modern digital world that that is sort of pushing them to the fringes. Like those old institutions, I don't know how long they're going to be able to sustain themselves. Journalism in the way that we knew it is is gone. And I'd love to have somebody like Trevor actually teach us a thing or two about journalism mm-hmm. because he would be someone who would be able to articulate that idea or that notion, whether that's accurate or not, that, mm-hmm. you know, how in the hell are the New York Times and Huffington Post going to stay afloat if they're not constantly babbling bullshit and and you know creating conjecture and and manufacturing scandal Mm -hmm. i mean how are they supposed to survive without that because in it's my humble thinking that nobody respects journalistic integrity 
anymore because it's really difficult to sell. Mm. It's difficult to package in a way that will keep people's attention. Nobody has attention for anything anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's it's tough for those institutions to continue the way that they have been. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be sink or swim. So either they're going to join the ranks of alarmist, sensationalist bullshit, or they're going to fade away to the background. Yeah. Or ask for our money. Yeah. Or ask for our, our, our humble contribution. Yeah. Yeah. Support your but public radio guys. Fucking NPR guys. That's where it's at. Fucking support it. Support your local media. They'll give you mugs and yeah, they, t-shirts and shit. They do. They do. They also play excellent music from different regions of the world. Mm-hmm. And they introduce you to things that you may not have learned anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Just keep your eyes open to the things that challenge you. NPR also has a litany of awesome podcasts. Yeah. I wish NPR had a little bit extra money to sponsor this podcast <laughs> because we love them so much. Yeah. God damn it. And I wish they would send us some of those wines that they have. Mm. I know that they have a bunch <laughs> of them. They they have their wine club, and I'm trying to get Maddie to, to get us signed up, but I know it's another over $100 or $90. It's a really good deal, though. You get one wine for every show that they have. There's an All Things Considered wine. I wish that they were our sponsor. The Way Way Don't Tell Me wine. The Way Way Don't Tell Me wine. I'm sure it's great. Yeah. yeah. We'll have to get in on that. We'll, we'll do that. Get in on the ground days. floor, as they you say. You know what? We're going to give out another tink because we're talking about NPR. NPR deserves a tink. All in the this, tinks. In this frenzied media world. No. Thank you, NPR. We love you. Mm-hmm. I'm tired. Me too. Well, folks, I, I think we're going to wrap it up because it's Friday and we're exhausted from the work week. But thank you so much for listening to this wonderful, wonderful thing. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> if this you is. haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It really does help. I wish we were on YouTube so I could say, comment below. <laughs> I mean, you can comment, but... I just... I, yeah, I'm out of the loop. But no, like, now. subscribe, because if you subscribe, you'll just get the updates when we you know when we throw the episodes up. Yeah. You won't have to, like, look for it. It'll just pop up in your feed. Yeah. And then rate and, rate and review, because that's the way iTunes works. If you rate and review the podcast, more people will see it. Okay. I agree. Okay. Good night, guys. Have a good week. Peace.